What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So first off, I, I would say like actionable steps. Make sure that you have got yourself as much of a sovereign individual as possible, which means that you don't need to rely on caffeine to get you up in the morning. You don't need to rely on Xanax to get you to sleep at night. Yeah. You're training, you're moving, you're doing things. And training can be like pickleball or going for a walk yeah. or fucking Pilates, right? It's not, you don't have to pick up, do deadlifts and spit and sawdust shit. Mm. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We have a very special guest today, Chris Williamson from Modern Wisdom. Thank you for coming. What's up, man? How are you? I'm living the dream. It's hot as fuck here. It is hot as fuck. Uh, but, you know, it's got to be weird. How long have you been coming to the States now? Uh, back and forth for about four years now, but I haven't spent a serious amount of time during summer for a pretty long while. So well, this you, is this is a baptism by fire. Literally, <laughs> literally, dude. Yeah, it's insane. Everyone's saying, oh, it wasn't, the summer wasn't going to be that bad and blah, blah, blah. And then sure enough, all of those people that said it was fine and I shouldn't try and go to Amsterdam for the summer <laughs> eating their words. Now. Yeah. Well, there's no, um, there's certainly no UK equivalent to the climate in right Texas. Now, right now, it's 37 degrees Celsius, which is pretty much the same yep. in the UK, but that's the most extreme heat wave we've ever had. Difference being there is no aircon anywhere in the UK. Really? No houses have aircon. Mm -hmm. Why would you need it? When it maxes out, it's that's true. Yeah, 80. yeah. We, when I lived in uh, the Bay Area, when I lived in Oakland, most houses didn't have air conditioning because it doesn't get that hot there yep. until it does, right? Um, but we're not here to talk about the fucking weather today. No, no, sir. Um, we're here to talk about what I think is. Um, I, I think it's a really important moment in human history especially in the west because we're always going to have problems right like that's that's what civilization is is our, our combined intellect and effort to to solve problems that come up whether it be natural disasters or disease or how do we feed more people because more people are coming things like that and we've uh so far as I know, pretty much everywhere in the West, except for maybe a couple of smaller locations, have the, the population has kind of surrendered. I guess I don't know how to I don't know how to phrase it really. They, they've instead of taking an active role in anything that's going on around them, they've kind of relegated themselves to subjects instead of what I call citizens, right? Because the definition of a citizen is somebody it's somebody who's recognized by the state 
uh, as having certain rights and responsibilities. You know what I mean? So there's a, there's a cost of admission. Like everybody, a lot of people rather would like to say that, you know, just being born in America grants you all the rights afforded to Americans. And uh, technically I suppose that's true, but it's not really from a, from a philosophical standpoint, that's never true, right? There's no rights are earned through effort. And I think that we've spent entirely too much time pointing out what's wrong and, and very little time for some people, no time addressing the problem. You know what I mean? So it's what, it's almost like, um, there's a trope in, in, in America about one dude working on his car and then four other dudes standing around watching while he does it. Now, what if all five dudes are just watching the car never gets fixed? You know what I mean? So I think that the true seat of power in any civilization, and it's, I'll, I'll reread that quote that we were talking about before, um, is whatever the people say it is, right? And you don't just say things with your mouth. You Most communication is nonverbal. So the way you live your life, the way that what you accept ultimately defines your reality, right? So the premise of this show is that I recognize that there are a lot of, uh, a lot of politicians and, and, and corporations and other bad actors that have They've leveraged our complacency against us, right, for their own intentions. Now, that's their fault, but it's our fault as well, which sounds like I, I like to challenge people. That sounds like it kind of sucks, like, oh, fuck, we did this. But the good news is that realizing that you've done it means that you can undo it. And um, I think we've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but... Now is a good, as good a time as any to start fixing them. So that's what I want to do. I want to fix them. It's, so it's similar to what you do with modern wisdom, right? Like you're, I, I like to joke. I was actually talking to somebody about this last week. Your show and Daily Stoic and this show should not exist. You know what I mean? Like we're, we've unsolved a bunch of problems and now we're having to solve them all over again. But maybe that's just part of it, right? So for those who haven't, um, seen your show or maybe heard you explain why talk a little bit about why you started the show modern wisdom and uh how do you think that can be leveraged and what i'm doing which is civically to kind of take back that power and prestige that belongs to the people so i got toward the end of my 20s and felt a little bit lost mm -hmm. i'd achieved a ton of success and accolades i guess in the way that a modern society might say that a young man should I'd run nightclubs, I had this huge events company, running parties and being with girls and making money and having status and stuff like that. But it didn't feel tremendously fulfilling. And I, I had to ask myself, well, what, if all of the things that I've been told I should value by society aren't making me feel the way that I'm supposed to feel or the way that I want to feel, which is fulfilled, existentially connected with purpose, mm -hmm. there's a problem here. Right. So how do I fix the problem? And this was 2016, 17, when the likes of Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, Shapiro, Sam Harris, Alanda Botton from the School of Life, all of these people were breaking through. And what they were talking about gave me a, a sense of agency and sovereignty and independence and control over my desires uh, and life in a way that I hadn't heard spoken before. 
you know, somebody saying that trying to be as truthful as possible is genuinely something that you should aim for mm. was not a narrative that I'd heard tremendously right. much. Uh, so I decided to basically, look, I reckon if I was involved in this process rather than just being a passive listener, which has some nice similarities to what you were talking about just before, mm-hmm. um, being actively participating in this is going to mean that I'm going to be able to get more out for myself. So originally it was a very selfish uh, project that I just wanted to improve me and speak to these super smart people about mm. what I could do. And then over time I realized that the more understanding you have about yourselves and the world around you, the more that you understand the dynamics that are at play, the things that you need to avoid, the common pitfalls, the successes, all of that stuff, um, it continues to expand your ability to be a sovereign individual, to control your destiny. And that kind of has been synopsized into, uh, you do not need to live your life by default, you can live it by design. Mm. An intentional life, something that's deliberate. Like there's this quote from uh, Aristotle where he's talking about Uh, if a man knows not to which port he is headed, no wind is favorable. Mm. And a lot of people step out of their door and are just blown along by whatever arrives in front of them. So opportunities arise, and maybe that opportunity is great, but does it contribute to the actual end goal of where you're trying to get to? And most people don't know the end goal. So the show was me trying to find out answers that helped me as a young guy who kind of had his head up his ass uh, and didn't really understand how the world worked. And now we're 500 episodes mm. in, and each time I have a conversation, it makes me better and hopefully makes the audience better as well. Yeah, I like one of the things you do, uh, like three things I learned, and then some, every now and again you'll do a compilation. I think you did 18 recently of just stuff that's uh, been super important to you. Um, it, it's, it's good to diagnose problems. You know, that, that's, a big, that's a big deal for us because... Um, and it's especially a big deal for somebody to do it in front of other people, diagnose your own problems or, or learning out loud, like learning out loud. Yeah. It's a good, good way to put it because life is tough. It's not supposed to be easy, but it's the, the lack of ease does become problematic from time to time. And, and, you know, purpose at least gives you somewhere to go. Yeah. The, the good news, like you don't always have to have the same purpose, by the way. You can make mistakes and be like, oh, you know what I really should be doing is this. That's perfectly reasonable to do that. Um, but if you're headed nowhere, you're going to get there. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you head nowhere, you will get there. And I like the Aristotle quote too. I mean, it's the, the impressionability of especially young people who are, you know, whatever shiny object comes along. Um, so the the reason that I got into this instead of just talking about politics all the time, because I felt like it was no matter what I did to try to make it a positive thing, like, Hey, look at how fucked up this is. Know that and don't engage with this stuff. It still seemed like it was kind of coming from a negative place. Uh, as, as hard as I tried to not make it come from a negative place. So my assumption, I guess, is that, that virtue is the, like when I think about complex ideas and that when I say complex, I mean, how do you make something like this apply to the most amount of people? Um, make it, you know, ubiquitous. When I think about complex ideas, I like to, I like to find the greatest common factor, right? Like what is the one thing or a group of things or idea or whatever it is that can be effective for the most amount of people? I think virtue is 
I think virtue is probably the one and it's, there's a lot of different ways to describe it. Um, discipline, ethics, control, like you said, controlling your desires, uh, 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 delayed gratification, I guess is a big one because it's comes down to discipline ultimately. Um, virtue as a discipline is very interesting to me because virtue for its own sake, that's the purest form of it, right? Like you, you can pretend, well, I'll say this. If you're being virtuous to some end, then you're probably pretending to be virtuous, right? Which means in the, in the moments where you need virtue the most, it's still going to be negotiable. And I don't think it should be. It um, should be the sort of thing that you rely on. I, I can't remember who it was that said, uh, virtue means that you do not chase, change your point of view even when it becomes unpopular or difficult. Right, yeah. Uh, what uh, One of my buddies, Baker, was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and I think he said, uh, well, he said character, but I think it works for virtue as well. It's like, uh, ver- char- he said character is doing the right thing after the excitement wears off. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a good yeah. way to think about it. And I... One issue maybe that you could see with uh, doing virtue for virtue's sake and that being the most pure element of it is that virtue without wisdom can be directed or manipulated very easily. Sure, yeah. So think about people in cults. They think that they're doing the virtuous thing. The problem is that it's not tempered through wisdom. It needs to be filtered through an understanding of the world, right? So it's not simply about sticking to whatever principle you think it is. It's about that principle, you ensuring that that principle is correct as well. Yeah, We so we had Alex uh, Epstein on to talk about fossil fuels and shit. And he makes that point about, um, about the fossil fuel debate, I guess the green side of it, where they've kind of moralized the idea that we shouldn't have any imprint on the world as human beings. Delicate world hypothesis. Yeah. But it's, I mean, obviously that's nonsense, but the, the strategy is effective. You're right. It's, you, you can weaponize virtue against people. So, um, This is, I want to read this passage from, uh, this is John Adams, two months before the Declaration of Independence was written, writing to um, Mercy Otis Warren. He says, public virtue cannot exist in a nation without private, and public virtue is the only foundation of republics. There must be a positive passion for the public good, the public interest, honor, power, and glory established in the minds of the people, or there can be no Republican government nor any real liberty. And this public passion must be superior to all private passions. Men must be ready. They must pride themselves and be happy to sacrifice their private pleasures, passions, and interests, nay, their private friendships and dearest connections when they stand in competition with the rights of society. I think that's a very long-winded, which you should expect from John Adams because he was kind of a bloviator, to be honest, but very poignant statement so and it it fits with the motif of this show i think that if you try to if you try to go out today and change society you're that you may as well try to fist fight a hurricane you know what i mean like that's an impossible thing to do but you start with yourself right and you move that upward and i there's something to be said about about ensuring that your virtue is rooted in reality. You know what I mean? Am I doing this, uh, I guess, virtue for its own sake is probably not 
the best idea because I, may, maybe I would equate it to the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. That's a debate, right? Like it technically says this, but this is the outcome we all want. That's the reason for the virtue is mm-hmm. this outcome, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just for virtue's sake. So um, it would be very easy to become captured, I think, mm. if you were doing it for virtue's own sake. So yeah. think about the, um, you know, blue-haired teacher that's trying to trans the kids. Mm. They believe that what they're pushing for is virtuous. Right. Uh, the problem again is that it's not being filtered through wisdom. Like it, it's not aligned with what we actually want. When you say that children should be able to be whatever they want to be, which you know, for the most part, people like, yeah, the kids. They have different abilities and different interests, and you should allow those to come through as much as mm. possible. But there's always going to be reducto ad, ad absurdium mm. uh, outlier events that can then sometimes catch hold. And I think actually what you might be seeing now is weaponization of people doing virtue for virtue's own sake. Sure, yeah. And this is as well where it can become incredibly performative, right? Virtue mm. for virtue's own sake is look at how virtuous I am from the activities that I'm doing. Right. I guess what I, what I said that what I mean is that you don't, do it for the reward of yes. your, for yourself, yes. which is what Adams is saying in this statement, mm-hmm. that the private virtue ultimately leads to public virtue. It's, it's you know, not not for its own sake. That's not a good way to put that. Yeah. It's it's for the purpose yes. that virtue is intended for, yes, which is not for just... You. From, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, this is the problem with fame, man. So fame used to mean something, mm. right? It used to be a reliable signal that this person had invented something or added to a community or had won a war or done whatever. But when people began to see fame as a admirable trait, what they realized was, hang on a second, if I can get myself to fame without having to do the hard thing that warrants fame in the first place, I get obligation-free status. I get all of the benefits of fame without any of the difficulty of having to do something that makes me worthy of Mm, being famous. And what that means is now in a world where you can be plucked out of obscurity uh, on a reality TV show and then everybody in a country knows your name or you can get famous on TikTok for skateboarding down the street drinking cranberry juice mm-hmm. and listening to some song. Right. These it, it turns fame from a reliable signal of somebody's worth and hard work into a Hunger Games lottery like mm-hmm. it's like being picked out of out of nothing. And the thing that people will realize longer term uh, the number one job for primary school age children in the UK is YouTuber. Mm. So the number one thing, not fireman, not police officer, not army, not astronaut, not anything. It's YouTuber. But other people's heads are a wretched place for your self-worth to reside. And anybody that is chasing fame is choosing to put their entire self-worth into the hands of the public at large. And they'll love you for as long as they're going to love you, but then very soon they're going to use you as a scapegoat. As soon as they can point at you, the, the only thing that people love more than having someone to rally around is having someone to rally against. Right. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, <clears throat> so one of the other things I wanted to talk about before we get into the divisiveness issue, which is uh, the principle we're going to focus on today is, and I maybe it's in my head a lot lately because I've been reading a lot about the founders and things like that and how how uh, opposed they were to an, uh, an aristocracy, right? Um, one of the phrases that I've read from multiple 
authors recently is that virtue is not inherited, right? So we used to think that being born in the purple or having good blood, for example, means that you're somehow more uh, uh, wise or talented or virtuous or whatever because of your lineage. Now, we know that's fucking stupid, right? Um, Actions. Yeah. It, it's, it is your your behavior that does all that stuff. But I feel like we're getting into these. I mean, we're, we're, we have political dynasties in a country that was founded on not doing that. And I, I would say this, the seat of power in America are those political dynasties, whether they're actively involved in politics or have moved on to the business world at this point. Right. Um, that is the, in my opinion, that is the result of people giving weight to that notion that virtue is inherited. Like, Oh, that's George HW Bush was a good man. He served our country. He wasn't the, the best president in the world, but he wasn't an asshole either. Mm. Let's elect his cokehead son. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't make any sense. It, like to, to, And maybe it's our fault for having a popularity contest. Like, there there might be some kind of... I, I don't know what... We're, we're a democratic republic. So, I, I certainly don't want to eschew the right and responsibility of people to vote and be involved in stuff. But I, it, it seems like there's some pretty large flaws intrinsic to the democratic process it's the mob right well i mean it's everybody is completely at the mercy of groupthink mm. and you know i mean what was that famous debate was it nixon and someone else and nixon Where was nixon all sweaty sweating. yeah that was nixon and i think it was jfk actually yes. yeah uh and you can't deny that fluency is used as a proxy for truthfulness mm. Um, there's something called the halo effect, which is good-looking people have better outcomes throughout their life. Generally, we're just attracted to people that have swagger or mm. charisma or looks or whatever. None of these things impact their ability to lead. And, I mean, you, the, the problem is, the problem lies with human nature and human programming not with the democratic process. Mm. Like, what do you want to do? You want to have some sort of, like, affirmative action for presidents where you yeah. go, well, this guy's actually yeah. a little bit younger and hotter than the other one, mm. so every vote for him is only 999 yeah. of a 1,000 for the other guy, so that kind of handicaps him and will even out the fucking good looks ratio? Mm. Like, obviously not. So, uh, sadly, human programming is pretty flawed, uh, and you need to be able to try and look past that generally. But then you have, especially at scale, when you're talking about an entire country, you've got a tragedy of the commons, which is, let's say that you do all of the work and try to negate your biases and come up with a very well-reasoned argument about why this person should be voted in as opposed to this other person, your vote is worth the same as a stupid person mm -hmm. that just went to the ballot box and ticked the first one on the list or somebody that was reactive and did it because of the good-looking president or whatever. So it, global coordination or uh, God's eye view coordination is super, super difficult to do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's impossible, right? Yes. And it's... E even... But I'll 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 go a little bit farther that even virtue can be a problem in that in that algorithm because um, so the '60s and '70s were rough times in the U.S. Like they had there was the summer of love in Woodstock and all that bullshit, but there was also the Vietnam War and the assassination of a president and then later his brother, uh, who was probably the front runner in the next presidential election. A lot of tumult in that time, and I think. Um, 
uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with American politics back then, but Jimmy Carter uh, ran for president, won, because I think he was a good man. You know what I mean? But but pe people thought, like they saw all this sinister stuff. Nixon had to resign and blah, blah, blah. Um, and they're just like, you know what? We're just going to have a good man be president. And it was a disaster. Why? Uh, he was weak. Um, so there was the Iranian hostage crisis. And he got embarrassed then the same way that Biden is currently being embarrassed by OPEC and, and stuff like that. Just kind of being ignored by people. Bullied. Yeah, because he's weak, right? So he was very weak uh, in a lot of the same ways, led to a gas crisis and inflation and all kinds of shit. And that's why Reagan ended up getting elected very charismatic, right? Um, and had been governor of California, which was uh, which is the largest state. So he had some street cred, I guess. Um, but even just focusing on virtue, like being a good man doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good leader. And I'm not sure we have an apparatus in American society for determining over the course of six months or however long an election cycle is, whether or not that's a good person and a good leader at mm -hmm. the same time. Like, Well, imagine this. Imagine that perhaps being a good person isn't necessary to be a good leader. Imagine if, just say that uh, in a hypothetical situation, the best leader that you could have that would be mm. the most effective in getting outcomes for a country would be one of the ones that was the least popular during the debates and all the rest of it. Right. Because there's two um, multiple games at play here. One of them is becoming elected. The other is operating the country in an effective way. Right. Right. Yeah. And those two, ab I mean, it could be that they lie over the top of each other perfectly. It could be that they don't even touch and it's yeah. probably somewhere in between. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, you know, Peterson's got that thing about better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Yeah. And when you think about the the lack of aggression and command and presence that somebody like Joe Biden seems to have at the moment, mm. that's not for me to say that uh, Boris Johnson, who just <laughs> departed office, uh, had much more. Yeah. But, yeah, it feels like at a time now where you really need uh, somebody that can kind of grab everything by the bullhorns and, and crack on well octavian was like that right augustus caesar was uh from some accounts uh which it's surprising they continue to exist but he was uh slapped around a little bit as a kid and then enjoyed slapping his wives around afterwards right it was like he had some pretty serious character flaws but still the pax romana right it's kind of hard to like after the Roman Empire, then Republic, then Empire again. You know what I mean? Um, managing the managing decades of relative peace through all that bullshit from the first triumvirate, then the Pompey Caesar, and all that bullshit that happened. Managing to keep all that together and bring Egypt back into the fold and stuff. He was an exceptional leader. It's hard to say that he wasn't. Um, eat crime and and poverty rates and and. Uh, uh, mortality rates went down significantly in a, under his rule, but he was a despot. Wouldn't right? have wanted to be married to him. No, certainly not. Well, I mean, I, I'm not sure I would want to be ruled by him necessarily either, but it, for the time it worked. Effective. Yeah, so I, I don't know how necessarily to balance those two things. Um, the, again, it comes back to effectiveness versus electability, mm -hmm. uh, and that really is a, a difficult one to pass. 
the public's desire for people doesn't seem to sway, or for what they want out of their leader doesn't seem to sway as much as it probably should do. Mm. We shouldn't still be electing people in 2022 on the same charismatic, extroverted, ah, yeah. good luck mm. charms from 1922 because the situation's different. Right. You need different criteria. It's like a, a football team and you're playing against a particularly aggressive team. Okay, so you need to be able to adapt the team sheet that you've got in order to be able to play against the, mm. the current political, global political world requires a particular type of leader. And not having that doesn't, still using old programming isn't going to help you get there. No, so we know, we know we're going it is unacceptable for us to uh, uh, do away with the democratic process. That's not going to happen, right? I mean, as, as flawed and fucked up as it is and as taken advantage of as it is, and especially here in the U.S., people have this, not not everyone, but a lot of people have this innate, like, fuck you attitude. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to be left alone. And they are half right. You know what I mean? Like, liberty is, as we mentioned before in the in the Adams thing, it begins with your uh, with your own moral duty. Otherwise, the infrastructure, I guess the liberty infrastructure only exists if you're living that privately as well. And... Uh, you can't just that. There's no version of the the Earth anymore where you can just move to the woods and and start your own homestead and and farm and and kill deer and shit. That's not happening. I mean, it, it, a couple of people might be able to do that, but that's just not a, a reasonable option. So, since we know that, I would say two things. One, we're not. We're certainly not gonna jettison the democratic process so if you can't affect it there then you have to affect the opinions of people how they're formed and how they're exercised you know what i mean like what is it exactly that we're looking for in a leader and instead of the the conversation being i'm going to vote for the lesser of two evils the conversation is this this person's particular brand of evil whatever it happens to be ego or whatever it is is okay for this situation so we'll elect this person then it's a much more reasonable way of going about electing people but how do you how do you do that right i mean how do you uh, we look americans are pretty good at marketing joel Osteen's convinced t- millions of people that he gives a shit about them so they'll buy his books he does not and he had an opportunity to prove it during a hurricane in houston and they're like hey can we put people up in your church he's like no fuck you man it's my church what are you talking about uh but we're good at marketing here and you know Shaping and swaying public opinion is something that's gone on since public has existed. And it's why I like what you're doing, what Peterson does, what uh, Mike Ritland does as well. Um, a lot of these people who are like, and, and Jocko is another good one. When you got him coming up on your show soon, um, like stop. No one's coming to save you, bud. Like this process, these systems, they're not going to save you. Like you're supposed to be saving them. That's the whole point. Like it's of, for, and by the people. It says it right there. Like if it's of and for, that's fine, but by. That means that's, an, that's a verb. You have to do shit. You're the delivery mechanism. Yes. Like And if, if the people are shitty, then the leaders are going to be shitty. And shitty doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad person, but if you're lazy, if you stand around and do nothing – 
for yourself or for other people when people need you to do stuff, then you are kind of shitty. Well, think about the fact that not everybody can stand up. There are certain people who it is your duty as someone that does have Mm. the time or the luxury to think about these problems. There are a bunch of people out there who, due to cultural situation, familial situation, money, disability, capacity, whatever, they can't. Mm. And that's duty, right? Mm. That's if you want to, people talk about, everyone's happy to take 4th of July off. Almost almost everybody's happy to take 4th of July off, right? To celebrate the stealing of this country from <laughs> me. It was a very difficult day. Yeah, it's rough. The 4th yeah, of July. Yeah, yeah. Happy treason day. <laughs> Ungrateful. We colonists. actually, that's, that's how you know what America is all about because you say happy treason day and we're like, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Everyone's gleeful about it, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if you guys, or if there are people that, that say that they love the country, you go, well, okay, like there's people here that need you. Mm. If you've got the time to read and learn and affect change and do stuff and make yourself better then maybe the old lady that lives next door maybe she could do with a little bit mm. of that better as well yeah and it's uh one of the principles is i'll do something every day to help my country my countrymen are all men um and uh and 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 i i think maybe i should change the order to help my countrymen my country are all men doesn't sound as ringy but it's that's the correct order i mm-hmm. think uh affecting change at the lowest possible level is a good idea yeah. again that's peterson right clean up your room yep then it, but it's it's like the basic uh tenets of being a boy scout you know what i mean like take care of shit around you leave it better than what not the same but better yes. than when you found it we should constantly constantly be trying to improve um and i feel like uh if I mentioned this with uh, Ritland the other day, but uh, what we know about social psychology and how uh, how contagious it is, you know what I mean? You have to, it may not be a zero sum game, but there is a there's certainly a coffer that we're putting either positive or negative shit into as a society, and if what you're offering is uh, complacency mixed with occasional uh, outrage. What the fuck are you doing, man? Like you're not in. Frankly, you're not. You don't deserve a better country because you've not put in the work. To, but this to is the tragedy that. of the commons again, as well. Mm-hmm. You know the fact that the person that works uh, on uh, volunteers on a weekend, or there's some a, a movement called the effective altruism mm-hmm. movement, where people. Um, commit to giving a large portion of their wealth for the rest of their life to the Mm. most effective charities out there. Um, Everybody else gets to benefit from the raising up of the living standards of the people that are working hard. Mm. So why would you not? It's the same problem. I'm sure Alex spoke about this when he came Mm. on the show. The fact that um, restricting our use of fossil fuels isn't going to stop China or India or, you know, third world countries from doing it. And the commons that we have there is the atmosphere it's blown around the world. It's one atmosphere, yeah. right? And the same, it's one country. And this, I remember reading about this study, um, an organizational psychologist had gone in to look at whether one bad apple genuinely does spoil the bunch mm. or whether in small, super high-performing teams, they raise up the standard of the person that's underperforming. And pretty reliably, if you bring somebody that is an underperformer that's lazy and doesn't have conscientiousness or industriousness, throw them into a group that's high-performing, very quickly the entire uh, performance of the group just degrades and falls apart Mm -hmm. because everybody sees somebody that is not pulling their weight and it brings into harsh light why they are and how that person's benefiting from it. 
So very much you could, there is maybe a great argument to be made here that it is more effective to bring up the most complacent and least logical mm. than to apply more capacity and resources to those that are able, that are already there and are moving further forward. Perhaps it should be a case that you're focused on the people that are the least engaged and are the most useless and most destructive. I don't know. I don't know if it scales beyond a small team to a country or whatever, right? Like maybe you could say that the real fat end tail events that you get with a, a Malcolm X type mm. figure, right? Or, you know, say what you want about her policies, like a Greta Thunberg type figure, mm. like they're effective at right. effecting change. So perhaps perhaps a barbell strategy would be best where you focus on raising up the people that are the least engaged, most complacent, most useless, and then try to empower the ones that are the most charismatic, the best positioned with the most industriousness. You fund them with effort and time and money and stuff and mm. you fund the people at the bottom. Maybe, I don't know. But. No, it makes sense. I mean, so in the military, you want to, th th this is almost like the, the special forces ethos, which they, they spend, uh, there, there's different organizations inside army special forces, uh, SIF teams and stuff like that. But one of the primary duties is to embed with and train indigenous forces to train other indigenous forces. Right. So it doesn't stop at that one level. It's like you're, it's train the trainers, what the military calls it. Um, from the top level for the, for the slightly motivated or slightly disillusioned, that's probably a good strategy, right? Cause you're creating, you're a force, you're creating a force multiplier at that point in the marketing, you would call it like a firebrand, right? Uh, somebody that's going to go out and do marketing on your behalf, even when you're not there. Um, that's, that seems to be the limit of a show like this or yours, right? Because people that aren't interested in doing those things aren't going to seek us out. Correct. Uh, and there might be some small amount of people who come up, come upon it, you know, coincidentally. And they're like, okay, cool. That makes sense to me. I'm going to do that now. And it, it resolves some issues for them and allows them to reintegrate themselves. But for the most part, it's going to be lukewarm people, people that are predisposed to it already. Somehow. Yeah. It's going to be, they're either lukewarm or they're already in. Yep. Right. So yep. I guess, that's why I like to spend – I spend a little bit of time in every single show talking about leadership because if you're – if you've made it this far, if you're listening to this or if you're listening to Peterson or if you're listening to you or any of these other people, um, then you are by definition a leader because you've seen – you've seen negligence or you've seen something that needs to be fixed and you're aware of it and you're going to seek answers that by definition makes you a leader. Um, the next step is like us finding a way, not necessarily or not, not simply to inform people, but as you said before, to empower them yep. to go out and start making change. So I like to ask about realistic concrete examples of what some people might be able to do. I mean, if you're in one of those, um, if you're just a, you know, a person in society that everything is, seems very large and very wrong to you, where do you even start from that point? You know what I mean? It's a difficult one, man. I mean, I would say with where my head's at at the moment, Andrew Huberman is a great resource for stuff like this. And it's strange because he's a, a scientist. He's the, director of the ophthalmology mm. and neuroscience lab at Stanford. But what he is getting people to do is 
impact their mental state through the way that they move their body throughout the day. Hmm. So he ensures that your thoughts are as clear as possible, that your dietary requirements are, are sorted, that you're training, that you're getting sunlight, that you're spending time with friends, that you're doing all of this stuff. He's got this great quote where he says, you cannot change the mind with the mind. That's very true, by the way. It used to be commonly held, and actually in, in amongst the general population, it's still a very commonly held belief that the mind controls the body, and that's not necessarily true, right? So uh, I don't know if he was involved in this, but at Stanford they did a study where they would take people who identified themselves as depressed and force them, like tell them to force themselves to smile. Mm-hmm. And just the physical act of smiling would make your brain release yeah. The right kind well, of let's, hormones, let's right? invert that. I would challenge any person that considers themselves happy or balanced or whatever for two weeks. Uh, you're only going to eat processed foods. Mm. You're going to have four hours sleep a night. Everything's going to be stressful. You're going to not see any sunlight. You're not going to train. You're not going to drink enough water, mm. blah, blah, blah. I challenge anybody for two weeks to do that and come out the other side and still be a functioning human. Right. They're going to be affected. So first off, I, I would say like actionable steps make sure that you have got yourself as much of a sovereign individual as possible, which means that you don't need to rely on caffeine to get you up in the morning. Mm. You don't need to rely on Xanax to get you to sleep at night. You're training, you're moving, you're doing things. And training can be like pickleball or going for a walk or fucking Pilates, right? It's not, you don't have to pick up, do deadlifts and spit and sawdust shit. Mm. So that would be the first step. And then after that, man, I think just trying to find out what you want to want in life is a really good place to begin. And we said this earlier on, if a man knows not where he's sailing, no wind is favorable. The same thing with this is that a lot of people know what they want. They think, I want money, I want a new house, Mm. I want a partner that loves me, I want a better job, I want a car, I want my kids to be happy, I want whatever. The question of what do you want to want is really fucking interesting and almost nobody asks themselves that. I mean, those are... This episode of Citizen is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. Welcome back, guys. Uh, Dear friends of ours... My favorite people on earth, Jared Taylor, Matt Best, Evan Hafer. Uh, we're going back with Black Rifle. Um, love these dudes. And, you know, we haven't had an active coupon code with them for a while, which will make a lot of you happy. So, you know, they get the best coffee in the world. I drink it every single morning. I actually drink, I kind of switch it up. So it's either whole bean and I go with one of the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, ECS, the exclusive coffees. Or uh, Silencer Smooth is my second favorite of everything they have. That's my other go-to. And I've got the RTDs as well, the, uh, the, the canned 300-milligram caffeine. That'll really jumpstart your day if you're getting behind. They also have a 200-milligram version of that. Um, got the best merch in the world. You know these guys, man. It's the best stuff in the world. I recommend joining the coffee club. Um, you know, you get free shipping on all your stuff. You get early access to... Uh, all the new merch and all the new products that come out, uh, you get good deals. They also have a section that have a bunch of codes, uh, discount codes for partners for, from meat companies and outdoor companies and all kinds of stuff over there. So join that coffee club and use the code CITIZEN for 20% off uh, everything on your order. First-time subscriptions only and no-order customers. Uh, so first-time purchases on that for the for the subscriptions, and it's one use uh, per customer, obviously, as as these codes are. Um, <clears throat> we're trying to get people back involved in the digital side of Black Rifles. So 
you know, make sure you're photographing yourself with the with the apparel. They got the best apparel in the world, the stickers, all that stuff, the coffee products, making the coffee, and then send them in, tag us, tag Citizen Podcast, uh, tag uh, Black Rifle Coffee, tag Drink It Bros, all that stuff. Uh, so we know you're out there and, you know, we know you're loving the product. This episode is also brought to you by our other dear friends, Ghost Bed. We just had, uh, just recorded an episode with the uh, CEO. That'll be out pretty soon here. Um, right now, Ghostbed is offering 40% off Ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base for everything else. 30% off. Use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. You're going to get, oh man, if, if you do the bundle deal and you get the uh, adjustable base and you get the mattress, maybe you add the uh, weighted blanket, maybe sheets, definitely pillows. You can't miss out on those. And the mattress protector. I add all that up together. 40% off, you're going to get a really good deal. But then you can apply the zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months. That's five years. You can get that entire suite for somewhere around 35, 40 bucks a month. It's a really good deal. And the products are extremely good. Uh, if you don't believe me, every mattress has a 20-year warranty. Some even have a 25-year warranty. They also allow you to try it out for 101 nights. If you don't like it, you can send it back. No hard feelings. Every mattress is cooling. They have some new cooling gel technology, which is super dope. <clears throat> so, look, we're not going to be able to say anything else we haven't said already about these guys. It's the best product in the world. Um, go choose from one of their four mattresses. Pick your bundle. Add all that stuff up together. Go check out. Make sure you get the uh, zero down, zero percent financing plan for up to 60 months. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drink it bros and get those deals. All the things that you described are outcomes, right? That, I mean... Technically, that's something to want, but that's not the important part. The process is the important part, right? Like, I, I want to have a functioning family life. Okay, yes. cool. What does that mean? Like, dig down, unpack what functioning means to you. Because if functioning just means there's a woman and two children in the same building as no you. Dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what's, what's really happening there? Even if you get along and shit, is that, are you really fulfilled at that point? Mm-hmm. I think it's a good point to make. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one, man. I mean, this is a step for me as well where I'm starting to see that I need to talk about group dynamics more, that I need to talk about what you like to talk about on this show, which is an acting change at a broader scale. Mm. And I think that that's a part of growing up. Yeah. Um, but if someone's in their 20s, you know, a young guy or girl that's in their 20s, I would spend that time making you as much of a sovereign mm. individual as you can. Um, th- this is one of the problems that people have with... Uh, those who are going to try and fix the world before they fix themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, look, you, you're a much better agent for change if you have control over you. Right. If you try to start fixing the world, it's what's that um, line from the Bible where he says, uh, Plank uh, in your eye, yeah. Those who have a spell, uh, identify the spell in your eye when you have a log yeah. in yours. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just sort your own shit first. And then from there, you can move on mm. to, to looking at broader social change. When it comes to the broader stuff, man, like taking a little bit of time to hear other people's perspectives, having a set of principles that you know are true, that have been filtered through wisdom, and then just not compromising. Mm. You know, like principles are that which don't change when things are hard. Yeah, I think it, and not compromising is an interesting thing when you talk, start talking about group dynamics because we've gotten to a point now where – uh, we've reintegrated, not compromising a little bit, but only for, I guess, confirmation bias, mm. you know, almost or, or 
we, we keep getting put into these positions where we have to either hate someone that we agree with or defend somebody that we don't because of what side they're aligned on. Um, and that seems one, one that's really stupid, right? But the other, the, the inverse of that is that you don't have to dunk on people. Yes. Like it doesn't help. Yeah. man. Like but, what, like if it, let's say you and I are in a debate about something and I really, I like I have some literal vested interest in you agreeing with me because I think it'll make things better. Let's say you reach the point in the conversation where you're starting to agree with me, and I'm like, "See, I fucking told you. Yeah, what good yeah, have I done at that yeah, point? Correct. Other than earn dick points yeah. for yourself. I mean, you have to provide people with uh, like a socially acceptable runway to land on. Yeah. And if you don't, then you've like you're. I think you're just as big a dick as somebody who just engages in general tribalism in the first place because the effect is the same. There's a, a fascinating insight around what you just said there to do with crazy mm. ideological beliefs that you hold on to. So an absurd ideological belief is a show of fealty to your team, and it's a threat display to the other one. Right. What it signals is, I believe in the ideology of the group more than reason itself, <laughs> more than what my eyes are showing me within the world. I am prepared to put to one side my own rationality in order to continue to fly the flag for whatever group it is that I'm with. And anybody, this is the reason why people don't like um, anyone that deviates from a easily predictable belief structure. Because if I know that you're on the right, so therefore <laughs> your position on guns and life and immigration and mm. taxes and whatever are all completely perfectly predictable, that means that I can extrapolate out what it is that you're going to do. Mm. What we don't like is when somebody has a piecemeal viewpoint, which most people should have. They should have individual quirks within mm. their own viewpoint of the world, but that means that I'm, you're very untrustworthy to me. Right. Yeah. Unbelievably untrustworthy. Yeah. And it's seen by your own side as a lack of commitment mm. and as the other side as a lack of either conviction or a weakness and a chink in your armor that they can identify. Oh, interesting. You've got that position about guns. I noticed that you're not the same when it comes to the pro-choice versus pro-life debate. Mm. Like, what's, the, what's going on there? And you go, well, hang on a second. Like, my fucking position on guns and my position on life, maybe they correlate on average, but that doesn't mean that they have to overall. Right, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah that's a good point. It's, it's like... Uh The, the first thing you said there kind of reminded me of the last chapter. It's like the last paragraph of 1984. Um, it's uh, Orwell says, in the end, the party would announce that two and two made five and you would have to believe it. It was inevitable that they should make that claim sooner or later. The logic of their position demanded it. The logic of their position, not the logic of the idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, we're, th this is a logical fallacy. It's called an appeal to a false authority, right? That's, that's a, a, a logical fallacy in, a, in, a, in, in literature or in debate. But it's the most routinely used of all the logical fallacies, except for maybe ad hominem, right? I mean, it's something is true because you said it's true or because this institution said it's true. No, things are true based on their own merit or not. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's like people, I think, are afraid. This is where the conviction part comes in for me on the on the you outward-facing side is that you have to be willing. I mean, Epictetus said you have to be willing to thought a fool to be, just to improve, right? So imagine what you have to do 
to, to improve and coexist with people socially. Um, it's, it's not a weakness to, to learn new shit and change your opinion. That's why I love seeing people that publicly uh, identify they've changed their mind. Mm. It's one of the most, to me, admirable, attractive mm. things that I can see. And um, every time it happens, again, you can weaponize this. Like anything can be turned into a performance. Right. Um, but, you know, someone that has a particular stance on something and then concedes, actually, hmm. I never thought of things like that. Yeah, that's super interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look into that. Uh, one of the best things that I like to use online, so trying to have a, a Socratic dialogue on the internet is kind of difficult. But a lot of the time, if I get criticism about something that's happened with the show, and I think that it's well meaning coming not just from someone that's reactionary, uh, and they say, uh, "Why don't you have more women on the show?" Mm. or um, like this is uh, this is a person you need to bring on to counteract this particular viewpoint. I go, okay, um, what women would you suggest I come on and why mm. would you like me to bring them on? Or who do you think I should start with in terms of this alternative view? Like, look, there is the opportunity for you mm. to engage in a dialogue with me. And what I find, you know, on the internet, your people are just on tenterhooks, especially the ones that comment mm. to just snap and react. And I find that when I do that, it's so disarming. And the number of messages that go, dude, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, here's three YouTube videos. And I'll yeah, probably yeah. really enjoy them. Yeah. Here's three things. So like just asking people, presuming that you're having a conversation with somebody in the hopes that both of you can leave the conversation with more wisdom than you went in, yeah. rather than more internet points or more personal, like fuck over your mate points than yeah, you yeah. had when you entered is a really good place to start. Yeah, it's a good place to start. And it's something that you can do in your private conversations as well. I mean, it, it's... That happens to me a lot too on the old interwebs. Uh, I'm a, I'm a pretty aggressive talker, and uh, don't do a whole lot of the facial expression. I've noticed thing. So it could be <laughs> like if I'm just saying stuff, it could be especially like we we have conversations about uh, guns a lot, especially when uh, mass shootings happen. Right, delicate situation, and I speak very frankly about it because I've I've been in a lot of gunfights, right? So I understand the dynamics of it. Um, and I think it's helpful to be able to understand what's actually happening before you start making comments about stuff. Now in your, so yeah, on the internet, I, people, I'll say something, people are like, Oh, so you support this? I'm like, no, not at all. Like, I think it's, I've asked the question before, uh, about red flag laws specifically. So we have, let, let's say for the sake of argument, we had information, uh, or some kind of way of, of gathering information that would predict these things. What should we do with that information? I think it's an important question to ask. Now, I don't think that pre-crime is acceptable. Like, we don't arrest people for shit they haven't done yet. Fuck that. I'm not okay with that. Should we uh, use it to create sweeping laws that would punish legal gun owners? Fuck no. Like, those two things are obviously unacceptable. So we're having this conversation and there's people on the right and people on the left, one that will not give up any amount of their right. And I don't think they should. And one that thinks that the only way to solve it is to take that right away, which I don't think is correct, but there's still, there's still common ground there, right? Shed those first few things. It's almost like you make a list of restaurants and you say, I don't like that one. And I say like, you just keep, ticking them off until you find one that you both agree on. Basically it's what I, what I mean when I say the greatest common factor, uh, discussion. 
at some point it's like, okay, so we have this information to predict this. We can't, like, it's untenable for, for us to stop it at this point because it infringes on full people. minority report. Right. It's, it's untenable to stop at this point because it infringes on people's rights. Now let's back this up. Right. What is this, What does this information tell us about this kid two years ago or four years ago or six or 10 years ago? Right. Mm-hmm. What we know is that typically uh, fatherless homes pay play a huge role in that. Sort of Antipsychotics and some kind of interaction with the police already. Right. Almost always. It's like that. Um, so the, there's something called Shaw's pathway methodology. He was a, uh, I guess, criminal philosophy guy. I don't, I don't know actually what you would call him, but he did a bunch of studies back in the day about how to interdict terrorism because the, what they found was... What's that word mean, interdict? Interdict, like to, uh, to stop it before it happens, I okay. guess. Um, what he found was that people get radicalized during high inflection points during their life, right? So a guy, a kid in Afghanistan, for example, who was like six or seven years old in, in uh, the early 1980s when we were just leaving, we had defeated the Russians in that area or we were fighting the Russians in that area, but we had kind of left Afghanistan and let the Taliban take over, um, instead of staying and helping like we said we would, like spending money on schools and shit. There's a moment in that kid's life where they're like, fuck those guys, right? And I'm not saying that we have to go out and spend money on every other country's schools to stop them from becoming terrorists, but there's a very obvious moment in most people's life where they break bad like that. Um, And that's what you do with that information. Use it to prevent things. You know what I mean? Like you, you shouldn't use that kind of information to prevent uh, somebody from exercising their rights. It's such a slippery slope, though, man. Mm-hmm. You know, we're so, you're so close to pre-crime. You're so close to. Well, I mean, so the interdiction in this case is, uh, we so there's here's a predictor: uh, fatherless homes. How do we uh, how do we address that problem? Oh, I understand. Right, I understand. I'm, I'm not talking it's about not profiling. No, 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 no. Right. Yeah. Not not profiling and not. Well, I mean, profiling so you could go help them, but even that's kind of a slippery slope. Yeah, right? you yeah. Know, what does help? What does help begin and end? Yeah, because who uses that and how <laughs> is a problem. But the fatherless home thing and the and the and the pills that's a that's a a problem that I think can be addressed. Yes. Right, because yes. you're an adult male that lives in it in or adjacent to an area that has a big fatherless home problem as as we know it you can you can do something about that yeah. like you can literally affect change like you we, we mean, like starting a local boxing club anything uh, yeah after school yep. club yeah there's a, a place manchester has uh, in the northwest of the uk they have a uh, a bunch of areas that were just run by gangs for ages we don't have the same sort of gang culture that you guys do over here mm. um but it's there and um in a bunch of these places one of the most valuable um, areas that young guys, especially because most of the crime mm-hmm. is committed by young guys, that they go to are these boxing clubs. It permits them to learn discipline. It gives them a channel for aggression. It keeps them off of the streets, you know, between the hours of five and seven mm-hmm. every weeknight. And it, it it's phenomenal. Uh, so, yeah, you're, I, I get what you mean. It's a, a vector for focus to try and fix the actual problem at its root. I mean, on top of that as well, reinvigorating marriage would probably not be too bad of a 
an idea. Yeah, yeah, that helps. Yeah. Um, but see that this this conversation is kind of an example where if if I tried to have this on the internet, I would get attacked from the left and the right. Right. What would you be attacked from the right for? Uh, for suggesting that there's anything you should do about this issue at all. I think. Uh, do you think most people on the right don't believe that there should be something to try and stop all of these gun shootings? No, I don't think they believe that, but I think they're captured by the shit that we were talking about earlier, which is if you show any kind of uh, uh, flexibility on the issue, then that's a weakness. I, I understand. And I, and I get it from a, considering that it is uh, one of the rights that's literally used to preserve your life and safety, I understand how touchy it gets. Tentative. Yeah, yeah. And I'm fine with that, especially considering uh, how the left acts about it because their, their, their idea is almost entirely centered around taking shit away from people, yeah. um, which is obviously an untenable thing. But st stomping your feet and crossing your arms is not going to do anything either. Yeah. And the more, the more negative outcomes that happened, the more power that side has, right? Like nobody hates an irresponsible gun user than a responsible one because it fucks it up for everybody. Uh, and I'm not saying it justifies anybody coming after your shit, but it, it, it goes back to the, the same thing as this, the premise of the citizen rights and responsibilities. If you want to live in this kind of world, and enjoy the rights that you have, then you have a responsibility to make that the kind of world where those rights are tenable, right, for everyone, or at least for the most amount of people. And that bring, that's a good uh, segue to the divisiveness thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, principle that you chose to discuss today, which we've had on a couple of times so far, is I'll reject divisiveness in all its forms for those trying to divide us or trying to conquer us. Uh, tell me some about what that means to you. One of the patterns that I've noticed, especially over the last few years, is the West's hatred of the West. You know, this is the subject of Douglas's new book. And it was so great that he put uh, a kind of a title on it. Mm. Um, you know, you can have Eastern anti-Westernism, you can have uh, Islamic anti-Westernism. Mm. The most interesting one is Western anti-Westernism. Yeah. And it seems to me like a lot of the seeds of discord that have been sown are not the sort of things that would be generated from inside of a country. They're the sort of things that would have been created by design. Right. The divisiveness that we're seeing at the moment. And there's a, a great a great concept um, that I learned about a couple of weeks ago called firehosing. Firehosing, with so many competing narratives in the digital age, disinformation agents can't convince you of any single narrative. So instead, they overwhelm you with many contradictory narratives until you start to doubt everything and become confused, demoralized, and passive. That's nihilism, by the way, right? Like once you're confused and disillusioned and it leads to complacency, now you're a nihilist. You don't believe in anything, any of the systems. Would that not be, so nihilism to me would be an active uh, lack of belief mm -hmm. as opposed to an apathetic um, uh, lack of It could be cynicism, engagement. I guess, yeah. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, and, and apathy, I think apathy is a big part of this as well, mm. that you're seeing, I, I feel this in myself, I feel the tension in myself, that, look, there are so many different ideas about what it could be. Mm. Is Did the virus come from the lab? Is uh, Bill Gates putting chips in our arms? Mm. You know, it, who's on the, is Russia on the side of good? Is Ukraine on the side of good? Did they have, who's got it right? Who's got it wrong? Like, just an 
endless amount of information. So it's they're they're leveraging paralysis by analysis. There. Correct. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting theory. I like that. I also think that we've been made to think, like a lot of people have been made to feel embarrassed for their their success. Oh, right? massively so. Yeah, because it triggers the people that don't. So mm-hmm. here's a great story. Um, back in ancient Greece the uh, people that were by the side of the streets, the beggars, those that were lame, that had lost their way or whatever, they were called unfortunates. Mm. And the reason that they were called that is because Lady Fortuna hadn't blessed them. Right. And Lady Fortuna, I think, is shown holding, it's either a set of scales or she's balancing two different things. And the reason for that is that the ancient Greeks understood that Fortuna gave and take uh, took away. Mm. And I can't remember... I want to say it's uh, Epictetus who was, or it might have been Seneca, I think, who was banished uh, and he couldn't see his family for a very, very long time. And then someone asked him, you know, how are you putting up with seven years away from your family Mm -hmm. and all of this stuff? He said, well, Lady Fortuna had given me an unbelievable life up until this point and this is just me paying my dues. However, roll the clock forward now to a meritocracy in 2022. Mm -hmm the people that haven't succeeded are no longer called the unfortunates. They're called losers. Yeah. Yeah. They're the losers. Right. And what, what does that lexical change tell you? Tells you that it went from being people who didn't succeed, having a uh, lack of opportunity, a misaligned life that didn't give them what could have happened. And Fortuna taking away inbuilt into this conversation is something about the inherent degree of luck that everybody has in their mm. life. Right. Um, now, if the people at the top of the meritocracy, the, the winners, deserve their successes, what does that mean about the people at the bottom? They deserve right. their failures. Now, a meritocracy is supposed to be as equal mm. opportunity for people to be able to go and <laughs> succeed and stuff like that. Um, but the people at the bottom, because not only now have they not succeeded, but they're also culpable in the fact that they haven't succeeded. Right. That is a very difficult pill to swallow. Well, that's kind of the bootstrapping idea from the right, isn't it? Like... Your 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 successes and failures rely entirely upon your own effort. Mm-hmm. Not entirely true, right? I uh, mean, there's a little bit of nuance there, but I would say that for the most part, yes. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to, as with everything at the moment, we're trying to optimize the whole for a minority, mm-hmm. a very small minority, but a very vo- vocal minority. Yeah. And it's weaponized empathy, performative mm-hmm. empathy as well. Look at how forthcoming and caring I am because I care about the maligned and the outliers and the anomalies that you don't want to care about. And this is why, when we're talking about divisiveness, Mm. you should be unbelievably careful about anybody who uses public displays of empathy as the way that they want you to uh, bind to their particular cause. Anybody online that does performative empathy or um, talks about their own moral grandstanding is an immediate red flag. Like AOC standing at the chain link fence looking into an empty parking lot, right? Pretty big red flag there. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I think it's even I think it's that is worse than just not helping. I, I say this a lot about um how the left has handled socioeconomic differences over the last fifty years or so and how they've leaned primarily on uh, a welfare system that has no intent or path towards upward mobility, right? It's just to keep you there and to keep you, frankly, I mean, a cynical way to look at that would be to keep you on the voter rolls for them. Maybe that's right. Maybe it's not. Uh, I kind of think it is, but 
um, to me, I, I, I kind of say tongue in cheek that at least the conservatives had the, uh, the common decency to ignore the problem, you know, and not make it worse. You know what I mean? But, uh, obviously neither one of those is the right answer. It's, it's gotta be, um, it's gotta be tough for people out there that live ordinary lives that aren't in, like, I, I find it tough to, to pour through all this stuff and, and all that, but I, I have the ability to do it. So I'm, I feel like I have a good grasp on how to have that conversation, but for a, just a regular, a regular person that does different work than this, that doesn't spend their time researching this stuff. It's, it's gotta be difficult to not fall. Cause people like, there's like traps that you fall into. Like, Oh, so you don't care about this? Like no. And I think the, the, uh, uh, being consistent and challenging other people is the only way to handle that problem. But it's challenging other people in a non-divisive way. Sure, right? yeah. Because you can push back against someone and you can cause them to further entrench themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's like we said before, having a genuinely open and curious mind is the biggest competitive advantage you can have. Mm. You, your goal should be to have strong opinions loosely held, not loose opinions strongly held. Right. Right. And that allows you to move through the world and not feel mortal terror when somebody disproves something that you've believed for the last five years. Right. You go, holy fuck, I, I can't believe, I, I cannot believe the fact that I was so wrong about that. Mm. Like, thank you. Thank you for pointing out the issue that I had in my thinking. I'm now a better yeah. person for it that. It should feel like a gift. Absolutely, sure. yeah. it should feel like a gift. Yeah. Because it is. But again, delivery speaks for a lot. We were saying earlier on, you know, fluency is a proxy for truthfulness. I mean, uh, how would you say? Snide is a proxy for bullshit. Mm. So if someone delivers something with an awful snidey top spin to it, you just go, well, uh, doesn't matter how, like you said with your friend, like I told you that you dick, yeah, like yeah, that's not yeah. that's not going to encourage people to better themselves. So th- one of the main reasons I think that I dislike divisiveness is that the inherent positive sumness of my life since I've decided to try and take a lot more control over it has almost exclusively come out of me and somebody else that I think is interesting or has something to teach me, Mm. entering a conversation in a good faith way and both of us leaving the conversation better than we entered it. And that can be somebody that I really disagree with. Right. But avoiding the divisiveness side of that allows everybody to better. You don't have to agree. I had David Pakman on the show. It was like just a very kind of odd little janky sort of interview. But there were a few things that he said and I thought, okay, like there were a bunch of elements in there that maybe weren't for me there's a couple of things that i'm going to consider yeah, yeah. i'm really going to think about that a little bit more and after four months maybe i think about it and i don't agree but gave me reason for pause okay so why why did it give me reason for pause mm. and the problem with divisiveness is that the collaboration even between opponents is never i mean look at even look at a ufc fight you know mm. these guys are fighting each other it's modern gladiatorial combat mm. and if it's a title fight before round five they'll fucking hug Mm. why yeah. well it's because there's an element of dance Respect, there's an yeah. element of cooperation yeah, yeah. and collaboration despite the fact that they're going as hard as possible against each other and i think that i mean you saw this really interestingly with do you remember when uh peterson and stephen fry did that monk debate yeah and there was that uh black pastor uh, uh eric dyson yeah michael eric dyson Just yeah. he's horrible so snidey and that's what i mean about the top spin mm. You know, like you're a mean, mad white man. Like you, I mean, anybody, oh fuck, here's an unbelievable one. There is a particular style. I don't mean to do woke bashing. Like I don't 
that's not my vibe. Mm. But there is a particular sort of tenor to the way that people from that side of the aisle seem to deliver their discussions. Did you see, it was on NPR, a, potentially a senator or someone had asked um, whether abortion was a women's rights issue. Uh, Holly, yeah. Yes. And the lady from Berkeley was... Yes. Or like, she was a don't smile. Right? Don't smile and laugh while telling me that I'm wrong. Mm. Like, it was just condescension, mm. like patronize, like, and that, talk about divisive. I mean, the fact that the guy that was up, he was giggling away to himself, obviously kind yeah. of was, knew what he was he, in for. He knew exactly what she was doing and how it would come off to reasonable people. Yes. So he, it's like uh, Sun Tzu, if your enemy's making a mistake, don't interrupt them. <laughs> Please, yeah. continue. Yeah. yeah. But that, I mean, you know, that's divisive. Yeah. That mode of thinking. And, you know, let's roll it into a couple of other things. I mean, the biggest pro-Black Lives Facebook page before BLM was started in the Internet Research Agency mm. in Russia. They were organizing rallies. They were inviting people. They weren't here. Rallies, real people physically got out of their house and moved their feet to a location based on something that Russians had tried, had asked them to do, mm. right? I mean, that shows that the inherent categorization and group think first, like I am a part of this particular yeah. group. This is my tribe. That is built by design for them. I mean, you've got uh, Constantine coming on Drinking Bros soon, mm -hmm. and he can tell you a lot about uh, Yuri Bezmanov. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he can tell you a Our ton audience about... definitely knows that. If you don't know who he is, just look him up on YouTube and watch the whole video. Constantine can go yeah. into that with a, a good bit of detail, so they should check out that episode that mm -hmm. you guys do too. Um, but yeah, you look at this as a disinformation tactic. You know, if we can't convince you of any one thing, let's ensure mm -hmm. that you can't believe anything at all. But it's good to know... It's good to know. So, I mean, not not just so you can combat it necessarily, but it's good to know in a in a sociological or yeah, sociological war like that, a war of ideas. It's good to know what your enemy's doing because that's your weak spot. That's like a, that's learning, something that you haven't addressed yet. It's like learning a cognitive bias about yourself, yeah. a, a, a scale to a group level. Like now, you can fix that. So, if like our response to learning that information shouldn't be see this is all uh, black people's problems in america are all a creative design of russia like no they were just using what was already here mm -hmm. and if you want to stop them from doing that and stop the bad actors from getting involved let's go solve these fucking problems you know yeah. what i mean yeah. that's the issue at hand here we, it, it, we're we're content to uh either virtue signal or become apathetic yeah. right and cynical about it neither one of those things are beneficial to anybody but the wild thing especially about virtue signaling there's a reason that we love scandals right mm. one of the main reasons that we love scandals is that it allows us to feel a moral emotion of superiority whilst having yeah. done nothing moral to earn it and it's rubbernecking too it's like a, a car wreck happens and everybody slows down to look at it why what's that quote about um Smart people discuss ideas. Stupid people discuss, discuss people. people yeah. yeah, yeah. And podcasters discuss people discussing ideas. So I'm, yeah, not, sure, yeah. I'm not sure where that puts us. <laughs> well, PewDiePie, actually, you know, I, I actually like him. I think he's funny. He's uh, still funny now. Yeah. I mean, it's strange he got into like fitness and stuff like that recently. He was mm -hmm. doing like natty or not videos. Yeah. I guess after you've done YouTube for twenty years, you just mm -hmm. run out of like scary games to play yeah. in the dark. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it's it's. That's a good point, divisiveness, and it's the reason that, that the I added the second half of that sentence, those who are trying to divide you are trying to conquer you. If you feel that, if somebody's trying 
at all, but especially a little bit too hard and a little illogically to convince you of some moralistic crusade. There's two things to learn from that. One, they're definitely trying to leverage that as a weapon against you. And the, and two is that there is an actual problem. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to leverage it. So we can do two things there. We can shun and ignore the provocateur and solve the problem. And then none of these other issues really exist. Like mm. the stuff that, that comes about doesn't come about. I think this is one of the more compelling arguments for conservatism that I can mm. see that there are a lot of ways to change the world. Many of them will make it worse. Yeah, and a few of them yeah, might yeah. make it better. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Ronald Reagan, I'm not a huge fan, but he did say something really funny once. He said uh, uh, the, the scariest words in the seven, or seven, scariest 11 words in the English language are I'm here, I'm from the government, I'm here to help, something like that. <laughs> it's like, but it's, it's because stuff like that doesn't scale. I mean, that's to me, that's a, I know a lot of people have trouble understanding that, especially when their emotions get involved, especially when it's a, because people don't want, you don't want to be the kind of person that just accepts other people's suffering. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And it, but understand that that can be leveraged against you. You know what I mean? And we want to solve these problems. Nobody wants to be told, hey, your behavior is negatively affecting these people. What are you going to do about it? Like, fuck, I got to do something. Well, do you? You know what I mean? Like, is it in my power to change that? Or is that even a reality? Or is there some other way that doesn't interfere with what we're already doing that solves that problem? You know what I mean? It's ch changing things entirely to fix small problems. We, it doesn't make any sense. Yes. You know what I mean? But it also doesn't make sense to put band-aids on bullet wounds. You know what I mean? It's always going to be a delicate balance. And that's why we enjoy federalism here in the United States. The Ninth and Tenth Amendments say it's not very specifically written in the Constitution or these Bill of Rights that goes back to the states. That's why the Roe decision came down the way it did. Mm. It never should have been made in the first place. Like they should have, the, the Supreme Court and Roe should have sent that to Congress and said, hey, this is your job to do this, not ours. And it's, you know, even if at this point now, because they've, of the way they rule, I think if the federal Congress passed a bill, I'm not sure it would even stand at this point because the power has been returned to the states in writing. So, and that's, that's how it should be by the way, but there's a bunch of ways to solve problems uh, at that level. You can't control all of those, but I will say that it, it, it happens from the ground up always good solutions I think happen in a, in a grassroots kind of way. I don't think we, we, so we have these, like Roe, for example, or the the Civil Rights Act and things like that. The Civil Rights Act was in the same way as Roe. It may have been an overreach at the time um, because ultimately the job of Congress is to do the will of the people and not necessarily to lecture the people on morality, right? Um, now, Obviously, the Civil Rights Act, great portions of it are really important, but it's things that should have been, see if uh, a way to say this, if you build, if you, if you do something in haste, then it typically doesn't last. And what we want is a lasting uh, 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 solution to problems like inequality, right? That's that like I want I don't want to have to revisit this issue again. 
because it's fucking stupid. Like, are we really having this conversation about whether everybody's entitled to the same shit? We're still talking about that. We are still talking about that. And it's only because there's the perception that that's not reality. And if, again, that perception of that not being reality is being weaponized by various groups, whether political or with some other agenda, because there is truth to it. And the only thing that you as a human being in America or anywhere else ever in the history of humanity can do to, to, to interdict that again is to figure out a way to go solve that problem. And that's what I tell people. Box the government out. If you want to be left alone, if you don't want the government telling you what to do with your body, if you don't want the government telling you what to do with your property or your guns or whatever else, pay attention. The issues they bring up to try to take those things away from you, to take that power away from you, go solve those issues. Take their fuel away. It's like attacking an enemy supply lines during wartime. It's the most effective form of combat. Actually, it's how George Washington won the Revolutionary War with the Fabian strategy, like fainting and uh, attacking supply lines and never engaging in large-scale combat. He lost more battles than he won, but he won the war. You know what I mean? That this is how you do this. We've known this for a very long time. We've just never really applied it to, to like civics, I guess. Another thing to consider on the divisiveness point is how much people desire a sense of belonging at the moment. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that originally was a fantastic idea about America, the fact that you have different states and each state is kind of like a separate country, but it's also not. There's freedom of trade. It's right. the same currency, speak the same language, so on and so forth. And if you don't like a particular type of state where you are now, you can move quite easily. But one of the problems that you have is with the collapse of grand narratives, people want to fill the God-shaped hole inside of them mm -hmm. with a sense of something else. They're not bound together anymore by ser uh, service on a Sunday. Right. So what are we... I'm, completely all about the NRA or I'm completely all about uh, the Dallas Cowboys or whatever like people are finding that degree of belonging so that inherent tribalism I think just downstream from that is the divisiveness yeah so people are trying to fill holes for belonging with whatever they can find that tribalness gets weaponized that tumbles down into divisiveness mm. and you see this even in you know discussions around the last election when Oh, maybe it was the, the Trump one where it was basically half of the country called the southern states, like idiot, retard, white hicks. Well, as Hillary Clinton called them a basket of deplorables. Yes, that was the But term. a lot of other more caustic language was used yes. as well. Yeah, yes, for yes, sure. yes. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I think that that's something else that people need to be conscious mm. of. You know, divisiveness, those that are trying to divide us, trying to conquer us, I, I think that... If you are divided, you are easier to conquer. Mm -hmm. But a lot of divisiveness just comes out of people's inherent tribalism. Sure, yeah. And what you have with this, I think I mentioned this to you the last time that I was on, but um, before 2012, people voted for the Democrats because they preferred the Democrats to the Republicans. Mm -hmm. After 2012, both parties were voting because of their distaste of the other right. rather than their love <laughs> of the same. So when you have a group which is bound together over the mutual distaste of an outgroup, it's so fragile because what you're constantly doing is you're circling the outside of your in-group, looking for a heretic that you can shave off right. so that you can point at them to continue to bind together the group that you're a part of. If you're held together purely by the gravity of hatred of everybody else, that's super fragile and it's very, very easy to just fracture. This is why I did, <laughs> when Douglas came on the show, I mentioned that because he's... Uh, gay but also conservative mm. 
that means he's basically straight. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm an honorary yeah. straight now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's, I don't know whether you've seen that there's white gay privilege is a thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So it's not just sufficient for you to be gay. You now also have yeah. to have a club foot or a gluten intolerance or whatever it is um, because you have to have these intersecting branches. And that's, and, by the way, that's uh, a negative return on investment for your group, meaning your numbers will intrinsically diminish over time. Over time. Oh, That's but the stupid. Pu- the purity spiral is all about that. Oh, yeah. It needs to continue to increase purity. So I think that, yeah, there's there's a big chunk of this which could be um, coordinated, malicious, maligned. It could be from foreign actors. It could be internally generated. But it's, make no mistake, it's perpetuated by people on the ground, you know? Like, so there is a, there is a degree of sovereignty that's happening, uh, a, a degree of culpability mm. that's happening that comes from you it yeah. comes from your response to this yeah. right so resisting divisiveness isn't about uh proclaiming that russia needs to be looked at and that we need to investigate china mm. and stuff it's like yo how are you showing up right yeah, yeah. how are you showing up when these sorts of discussions happen in your mm. household when your daughter comes back and says that she might want to vote whatever that's different to what you think or that she's now a part of the lgbt community mm. or whatever it is like how are you having these conversations there because yeah. that is also your opportunity to be a breakwater yeah to slow things down yep. it's good information we got to get going here let's do it i appreciate you coming today man i appreciate the fuck good, out of you, man. yeah it's a good conversation always um Make sure you tune in to uh, Modern Wisdom Podcast and whatever else you've got going on. You got I don't know when this is actually going out, so you're, I think your Jocko thing Jocko will be week. dropped. Yeah, yeah, go just search Chris Williamson on YouTube and search for Jocko Willink. Mm. Uh, that episode's spectacular. And then Andrew Huberman as well was last week. So mm. both of those are great. Go and check them out. Great. Cool. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.